I believe we'll answer any questions you have. That's right. Just give us a call. disclaimer in there. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody will sure, as I say it, call us up by Kate Answers. Oh, I doubt that. (laughs) We get most of them. Hey, we're back live and in person after a good long rest last weekend. That was nice. Yeah. Real nice time. Yeah, I had a good time down in Mardi Gras down in New Orleans, boy. It was was crazy. If if I hear who that one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Man, those folks are excited down there. I'm, I'm happy for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's about time. Oh, yeah, I guarantee you. That was a good thing. Good, good, good deal. So we're live and in person. We'd be glad to try to answer any questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. And just in case you don't get a chance to call or something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O, Altazan's Garage Company. Right. That will get you to the site. There's... Three databases you can search, depending on what type of information you're looking for. Right. There's the vehicle questions, which there's over 600 now, correct? Oh, yeah, 607, I think, as of this morning. Ah, that's pretty good. Yep. <laughs> a lot of information there. <laughs> tons and tons of stuff there. That'll get you a straight-to-the-point answer to a particular question. Right. And there's also the detailed topics, right. which will get you a more in-depth answer. Much, much more information on topic. any particular topic. For instance, there's one in there that's been very popular. I put it in last week, and it's already, I think it's had 100 and some odd people have already downloaded it, and it's why batteries die. And that's, that's a real good article. Yeah, it's looking at it sort of from a chemical standpoint, because a battery is basically a chemical process. Right. And it explains to you what occurs on a chemical level in a battery when it charges and discharges and why batteries die, or one of the reasons, because there are numerous reasons, but it goes into pretty good detail, but on a non-technical kind of level, I think just about anybody could understand it, but it gives you a lot of insight if your battery keeps going dead or you're not getting very much life out of your battery. Let's say you're killing a battery every year or so, haven't put a new battery every year. There are reasons why those things happen, and that's a good article on that. Put another one in there this morning. Josh wrote, and it was on transmissions. When you have a transmission problem, there's basically three, well, I guess four options. One is not to do anything. It would be to repair the transmission, is to replace the transmission, be that with a rebuilt unit or with a used unit. And number four, of course, would be to rebuild your transmission, which mm-hmm. I always feel is the best option and the reasons why. But that article goes into depth on the differences in the three options, the advantages and disadvantages to each. So if you happen to be forced into that type of situation, at least you'll be prepared for it with a lot more information. So that's the kinds of articles that are on there. And there are well, well over 100 of those in there. Those probably go anywhere from 200 to 300 words on a topic with illustrations on a specific topic. And you can get the ones that are on the site, and if you register, you can get the archive for the rest of them. Right. Am I well, correct? They're all archived on there, and even without registering, you can go through the archives. I just p- also added a new search function that I think has pretty much improved. The way our site has evolved over the years is that we use multiple databases, so it's a little difficult to search them all mm-hmm. with a standard search engine type thing. So I've got a sort of a hybrid search engine that I've worked in there, and it seems to work real well. A couple little bugs in it, but nothing that's going to keep you from using it. So I've added that to the site. It just says search right there on the menu, and if you okay. type in what you want, it will bring up not only the detailed topics, but it'll bring up the vehicle <laughs> questions. Vehicle questions. It'll also bring up images appear okay. on the site. Like Great. If, if you type in yellow headlamps, it's going to bring up the article on yellow headlamps. It'll bring up questions people have asked on their yellow headlamps where they get dull and mm-hmm. yellow. 
and it'll also bring up a picture of the yellow headlamps. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty good little search engine that we've put on there. So we always look for ways to try to make the site easier for folks to use. Right. That's one thing about you visit a website and it's hard to navigate. Right. And I find I won't go back to it. Yeah, most you people know? won't. They're going to look for maybe, I think most people's attention spans, maybe one or two minutes when yeah. they're aggravated. So they're going to go in there <laughs> and they can look around a little bit. If they can't find what they want, they're just going to move on. Right. So we're constantly, constantly trying to take feedback from people who use it trying to use it ourselves, trying to look for ways to make it even easier because it is such a large site. I know I indexed it this morning, and there was over 250,000 words of text wow. on that site. So It's a huge site, and the thing about it, it's all free. That's right. Free information. Everything on there is free, and it's, it's all unbiased information, unlike you're going to find in so many places because generally when someone goes to the trouble of setting up a website, it's because there are – either trying to sell a product or sell a service or push an agenda of some sort or another. Right. But this is a little different from that, and I think if you read it, you'll understand that. What we've tried to do is just put the information out there. Of course, we're going to benefit because we feel if you are educated about auto repair, you're going to make better choices, and we feel we're the best choice. Exactly. So we're going to benefit from that respect, but it's not pushing ourselves. Uh, right. We're we'll not pushing you, our service. Right. We're going to give you the information you need to make a decision and if the decision's not us that's fine yeah, but that's right there's an article on the site how to find a great shop that's right uh, we've got folks from all over the world who send me emails on there so it's not that we're just trying to push ourselves we're just trying to get some real good information out there of course we feel we're going to benefit because if you know the best shop i think that's going to be us that's it <laughs> <laughs> of course i'm a little prejudiced but <laughs> what the heck that's <laughs> it hey let's go to our phone lines we got robert's been patiently holding good morning robert uh, yes, good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good. Look, I have a 2002 Ford F-150. Okay. My radio went out, so the fuse, I figured it was the fuse. Okay. I changed the fuse, uh-huh. and within a half a mile, it blew again. Okay. So, so it's I looked fuses. at my owner's manual, uh-huh. and what I have on that circuit is a radio, uh-huh. a remote entry model, okay. and a GEM model. Yes, that's general electronics model. module. Yes, sir. Oh, the general electronic module? Yes, yes. sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what that means. Yes, right. the gym module is a bit problematic in that it controls a whole lot of things, and we have seen some of those gym modules go bad and cause fuses to blow. The way you're going to need to try to do something with that, Robert, would be to go in and unplug each of those circuits one at a time. In other words, if you unplug the general electronics module, there's a lot of things that won't work. But if you replace the fuse and the radio still works and it doesn't blow, then you can logically assume that it's in the module somewhere. And that doesn't mean the module's bad because it could be a feedback to the module. Okay. So you may have to get it to someone who can do a little more in-depth diagnosis than you're going to be capable of. But at least you'll have some guidance there. Unplug the radio first mm-hmm. and see if it doesn't blow. If it doesn't blow when you unplug the radio, then it's probably in the radio. So you might want to do you know, those radios are pretty expensive if you go to Ford and buy one but I mean you can go to a stereo shop and probably buy one three times as good for half the money right at least if you know that there's no sense going in because a gym module is going to probably cost you about three to four hundred dollars plus it has to be programmed I was to say it's programming on top of that that's right so it's a it's a pretty expensive thing you don't want to start with that you want to start with the simplest things first so I would get like you've already done you, you're right on the right track there go ahead and get your manual out see what things are on the circuit See how many you can disable yourself by unplugging them. I mean, some you may run into some problems where you can't do some of them physically, but unplug them and then replace the fuse and see if it stays. And with the one you unplug that stops the fuse from blowing, at least you know the area where the circuit is. Can you tell me where the gym model is located? The gym on that one I think is going to be behind the fuse box. I think it's 
bolt it to the back side of the fuse box. It's a real, real boogerilla to get to. Yeah. Uh, And if you take it out, your door chimes are going to stop, your door locks are going to stop, your power lights are going to stop, your inside lights lights are going to stop. Yeah. So it's controlling. It is the general electronic module. It's the one that controls everything that the PCM doesn't control. It's kind of like the body control module on GM. Ford just calls it a gym module. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. One of these days, I promise. One of these days, I will learn. I tell you, one of these days, I will learn which button to push. (laughs) (laughs) Hadn't been doing this but eighteen years, so it seems like I'm. Think you think you figured out by now? I'm kind of warming up to it. Hey, we'll go ahead and take a quick little break right now, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway. That's the best. I'm here with David. Actual Agco Automotive customer and owner of a 98 Suburban with 434,000 miles on it. And counting. That's amazing. How did you do that? Well, as an airline pilot, I know the importance of regular maintenance schedules. That and having a great team of mechanics, just like the guys at Agco. So Agco has helped keep your car running? All of my cars. Wow. So, folks, if you're looking to keep your late model vehicle on the road longer, take it to Agco once a year for a general inspection. That way, the Agco team can catch any potential problems early before they become expensive repairs down the road. Yeah, David, I've done a little piloting myself. Really? Well, it was one of those radio-controlled planes you fly off of Burbank, (laughs) but I could feel the power. (laughs) Oh, I bet you could. That's really close to a 747. I know, right? So, folks, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alpazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? I'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Give us some advice. Try to get your old car to start. Get it to stop. There you go. Anything in between. <laughs> <laughs> get it to stop squeaking. <laughs> I had a customer that called me earlier this week, and this is something that I hear a fair amount, and it is a devastating problem that can be extremely, extremely expensive. And, of course, it's almost totally preventable. But he said that he went to a all-change place and had the oil changed. And about two or three hours later, the red brake warning light popped on. Okay. So, at first, he says, well, maybe it's a coincidence. No big deal. Right. But then his brake pedal started getting spongy and going low. And he didn't bring the car to us because we just didn't have time to look at it this week. But... He did call me back, and what had happened is that they had put power steering fluid into the brake reservoir accidentally. Two different fluids. Right, and the reason that is so devastating is that brake fluid is an alcohol-based fluid, and brake systems use natural rubber because it works well with alcohol. The whole system is designed to work together. Power steering fluid is a petroleum-based product, and petroleum will be absorbed into the rubber. When it does, it's going to soften the rubber, and it's going to swell the rubber did a little bit of research on that just because that's the way my mind works and as soon as the petroleum hits rubber it's pretty much done right the effects are not going to show up depends on the concentration of petroleum that's been added the temperature and the amount of time of exposure is going to determine how fast and all that because it could take up to four hours to 30 hours to show up total result of the problem okay but once it's in there it's done 
There's right. No, there's, Every rubber component yeah, in the braking system. Is, there's no flushing it out. There's no cleaning it out. There's no right. cleaning it up. It's sort of like if you are exposed to radiation, your body's exposed to radiation, you're not going to die immediately. But you can have some serious long-term problems. Right. You can take a bath and scrub your skin all you want. You're done. You can't get it out, yeah. <laughs> it's done punched holes all in all your organs. You know? That's right. Same thing with oil once it gets in the system. And the reason that power steering fluid and brake fluid get exchanged so many times is that, number one, they're both about the same color. Right. Number two, they're usually in fairly close proximity with each other. And, and number three, even the bottles are similar. Right. They're in the same containers. Sometimes. I've often wondered why they didn't use some type of dye difference between those two to kind of identify them. Like, for instance, transmission fluid is red only because they put red dye in it. Mm-hmm. Transmission fluid would normally be about the same color as oil because it's basically a 10-weight oil with additives. But they put a red dye in it so you'll know it's not engine oil. Correct. And that helps a great deal in keeping them from getting mixed up with oil. I've often wondered why they don't do something like that, but nonetheless, they don't. Right. Did a little search on the internet, and apparently that happens extremely often. One guy even says, well, aren't brake fluid and power steering fluid the same? Oh, no, no absolutely not. No. Totally, totally different chemicals. And that is true of almost all chemicals. There were even some instances where people put brake fluid into their power steering system. Right. Same kind of effect. It's not going to be quite as devastating because the alcohol is not going to destroy that the, power steering, which used to petroleum. But brake fluid is not going to lubricate that system. You've right. got a pump sitting so there running at 1,200 PSI with no lubrication, so it's going to wipe it out. It and also, brake fluid is much more corrosive than power steering fluid. So you're not going to have corrosion protection in your system. So you will definitely have problem that's going to be more long term oh you think about it too if you added if power steering fluid does get in your brake system mm-hmm. you have the rubber seals in the master cylinder right. that's where it starts you have the abs unit right which has rubber seals in right it, and some of those run up eight nine hundred dollars oh, or more I've or more sixteen hundred yeah you've got your hoses, hoses calipers, your caliper seals your rear cylinder seals proportioning valves if valves you have one. right yeah you've it, got a tremendous amount of product there to to be damaged oh yeah it, it can really really do a tremendous amount of damage and the worst possible thing if that happens to you the key is speed of repair is of the essence if you right. immediately catch the problem you can stop it you may be able to pull the master cylinder off replace that back flush the system or exactly. start with the furthest line and force pressure backwards through the system to force it all out but unfortunately what some people will do it didn't happen in this case but i've heard this before they take it back wherever it was done, and they try to flush the stuff through the system. Right. Well, all you're all you're doing is contaminating deep, the rest of yeah, the system. Yeah, you're pushing it deeper and deeper and deeper in there. And if you continue to drive it, you're gonna it automatically, every time you push the brake pedal, it pushes fluid out, and every time you let off, it kind of comes back. But since the oil is heavier than the brake fluid, it's going to migrate down, which is the calipers, the wheel cylinders, and lower parts of the system. So it's right. going to go all the way through the system if you don't do something. So when that happens, it's of the utmost importance to do something immediately and also to do the proper thing correct if you catch it right away you may get by just putting a master cylinder on it which is bad enough but it saves from doing the rest of the system. that's right you hadn't contaminated your entire system but i do get a lot of questions about that and in doing a little search on google i was amazed at the number of hits that came up the number of people who have done that it happens quite regular it must it must happen quite a bit I guess unfortunate in the industry, but a lot of the guys who are changing oil and stuff are low-skilled techs. They're not A-techs. Agco, I guess, is kind of overkill, but we've got L1 master techs changing oil. Right. But we don't see stuff like that. Exactly. You don't see strict <laughs> yeah, drain plugs. You don't see cars going out without oil in them. Right. 
Right. It's like anything else. You take a young person and you're trying to give them a break, you give them a job, and you explain everything to them, but they just don't have the experiences. And it's just a lot more likely that they can make a mistake, particularly if they're rushed. Right. They're rushed through the job. They're trying and to do this in five minutes. That's or 10 right. Minutes. Most of those places are run, 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 run. Right. You're just about a hair's breath from a disaster all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> With something like that. A financial disaster, if not a physical disaster. Right. Basically, you can have a catastrophic brake failure because it's a redundant system. There's two sides to the system, but that's going to wipe them both out. Exactly, because the fluid's going to cross between the two reservoirs. You're going to pretty much lose your complete brakes real quick. So, anyway, I just thought I'd just talk about that for just a second. Let's go back to our phone. I've got Willie online. Good morning, Willie. Good morning. Good morning. I got a 94 Maximum with 202,000 miles Okay, on. good for you. I just had an <laughs> injector replaced okay. about a month ago. Yes, sir. Now I find out I need another one replaced. Yes, sir. Willie, those cars, I'm kind of stretching my memory banks. That's going back a ways. But they had a recall on those for injector seals, I know, at one time. And I don't know if that's ever ended or not. You might just check and see if that recall is still active. And if it is, then at least you say, I'll pay for the injectors. You put them in for me. You might be able to get something done at a reduced price. Mm, okay. I, I don't want to mislead you because it, it's been quite a while, but I know a lot of the maximums, I don't recall exactly what years they were, but there was an open recall for injector seal leakage. So okay. if that recall is still good, normally what happens when one injector goes bad, the others aren't going to be too, too far behind it. And it could be some contamination got into the fuel. You, you never know why these things happen. But if you change one and another one goes bad, you know, that's kind of a bad sign. There's five more on there. Right. You might be better off, particularly if you could say, hey, I'll pay for the injectors. You put them in while you're changing the seals. It's worth okay. a shot. If not, I mean, I guess what I would probably recommend to you, because they're, they're kind of pricey, if I remember right. They are. You could try changing another one and see what happens, but more than likely you're going to end up changing them all before you're said and done. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you. Okay, Willie. Thank you, man. And we've got Elmo online. Good morning, Elmo. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great. I have a 2007 Ford Ranger. Just bought it last June. The truck runs great. Uh-huh. Every once in a while, when I start it up, within about 30 seconds, I hear a thunk. There's no adverse effects. It drives out well. No heating. Nothing. It's just a thump I hear. What, I'm not, what brings the thump on, Elmo? Is it just sitting there and it just thumps? Or is it like turning a wheel or putting it in gear? Just, or? just sitting in idle. Just sitting in idle in neutral, say, or park? Yeah, sitting part. I hadn't even moved it. Uh huh. Just a single thump. Just a single thump. That's pretty strange, Elmo. I haven't really heard that particular complaint before on that particular vehicle. Can't think of anything. It just does it one time and doesn't do it ever again until you turn it off, and turn it back on. That's correct. And it's not every time. It's maybe once every three or four yeah. times. How loud is that thump? I mean, relative to Terry. I mean, it's it's significant. I mean, like a loud bang, or it's just something you can hear. No, it's very low. You know what I would kind of suspect, and I may be off base on this, but just something that occurs to me. When you start the vehicle, there's a big magnet in there that throws the starter Bendix into the flywheel. And it moves about an inch, okay, because it has to move all the way from the starter housing to the flywheel. Now, when you let off the key, the magnet releases, and it comes out of the flywheel. If that Bendix is not retracting all the way in the starter housing, and then after the vibration of the engine hits a little bit, it thunks and pops in the rest of the way because it's got a spring on it that's supposed to push it back. That spring could be broken or weak, and that would give you a single thunk, and it's not going to occur again until you turn it off and start it again, which pushes it back out again. Right. So that would kind of sort of be 
the only thing I can say. Hello, Come on, Brian. You'll get it. There you go. <laughs> what about a heating door inside the heat box? That's, it, a, that's they had a thing. They had a problem with the blend door breaking at the top. They did. Could be that Does it's... it sound like it's inside the truck? Would you sound like it's outside? Or can you it's tell? It's outside. It sounds like it's under the hood. Okay. Okay. Because what Brian's talking about, there is a a blend door under the dash of the car that can move and make a a, a a single funk like that. And it may only do it when you cycle ignition. Uh, I guess what I would try, Elmo, just to narrow that down, is turn the car off, turn it back on, but don't start it, and see if the the clunk is there. And just do that several times and see if the clunk comes back. If it comes back without starting the motor then it's more it's, likely going to be something under the right. dash, like one of the servos or something under their binding. If it absolutely will not come back unless you start the engine, then I'm kind of back more to my starter theory. Right. So, okay. Something in that area. Well, if it is the starter, do I guess I'm going to have some starter problems here eventually? Probably, Maybe. because if the spring is broken and it breaks more, what could happen is that the gear could stay in the flywheel, which is going to give you a loud when you start it. Right. Or sometimes yeah. when you accelerate, you may hit, because the force of taking off can make that thing kind of slide back into the flywheel. It depends on how far it's retracting out. So it can eventually give you some problem. I would do that, what Lewis was saying yeah. a while ago. Try just turn the, the key on, on see okay. if it happens. Without okay. starting it and see if you can duplicate it. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye. And we've got Chris on the line. Good morning, Chris. Morning. A friend of mine has a 2003 Chevrolet pickup. Okay. And the uh, instrument cluster is slowly going out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I know they. I know they had a recall for they it. They did up to seventy thousand miles. Right. He had eighty thousand miles. Yeah. That's the reason they did that. Because <laughs> they know they're going out at eighty. <laughs> yeah. Chris, is there any, is there any fix other yes, than yes, replacing sir. the entire? Yes, sir. We have just recently come up with a method where we can replace the little servos in that dash for you for about half the price of a replacement dash, and we can do it in one day instead of having to wait overnight to get one. Oh, cool. We do that in-house at AGCO now. I've got an electronics tech working for me, and he takes the dash out, takes it apart, unsolders these little motors. I found a source on an improved motor, which is like the ones they put in the late models that don't do it, and uh-huh. he can place those little servo. We change, there's six little servo motors in there. We change all six of them. Because oh, okay. if you don't, if you fix the speedometer right now, two months from now, the tachometer's going to go out, and then the gas gauge can go out, and the temperature gauge can go out. So we just change all six motors. It's probably yeah. half or less the price of a replacement instrument cluster. works just oh, as good. well. We've had excellent, excellent results with that. Yeah, you had the speedometer go out, and now the uh, fuel gauge is going out. Right. Yeah, they'll they'll all fail sooner or later. It was just a bad, bad batch of Chinese motors GM stuck <laughs> on us. <laughs> they're all the same motor. Yeah, one little motor just, fits just about every one right. of them. We, they, oh, gee. we buy them from a manufacturer 150 motors at a time, and this same little motor fits just about all of them, but you just got to go into the instrument cluster, unsolder it, resolder the new motor in there. Cool. Uh, yeah, we've had real, real good luck with that. Well, great. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, man. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. Mark and Earl, you guys hang on. You'll be straight up after the break. I'm here with John, an actual Agco automotive customer. I've been taking all of my cars to Lewis for a long time. I go in regularly for all changes, and if they notice anything else wrong, they let me know. It's just like going in for a checkup at the doctor. So you're saying the mechanics at Agco are like physicians? Car doctors. They don't ever miss a diagnosis. And I have three cars with over 100,000 miles on them. Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection 
inspection. They'll check it out and even let you know if it's best to invest in repairs or possibly look for another vehicle. Yep, regular maintenance with ACCO keeps my cars running fine. And regular checkups at the doctor keeps this old 80-year-old in good shape, too. You're 80? John, I hope I look that good when I'm your age. Well, son, I think it's kind of late for that. Oh, I see your wit's pretty sharp, too. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Lewis Aldazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. I see all our lines are lit up. Let's see how many of them we can get taken care of here. We got Mark on line. Good morning, Mark. Hey, how you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a 2007 Ford F-150, uh-huh. and the fuel gauge won't come off of empty. Okay. And I took it into the dealership, mm-hmm. and they said that it's fuel gauge in the tank. Mm-hmm. The same okay. year, yes, sir. And it's like four hundred dollars for the part. And yes, sir. That's just about right. right. You have to drop the fuel tank out of the cars, just the way they build them, and just about everything is built that way, Mark. Yeah. That is probably pretty accurate. I mean, they may be a couple of dollars high just because they're a dealer, but right. they, they're not way off base on that. What a lot of folks elect to do. I don't know how many miles you have on it, Mark? About eighty thousand. Wow. Yeah, that's a shame at low yeah. miles like that. I was gonna say, eventually fuel pumps do go out, and when the fuel pump goes out you pretty much, the fuel pump and the center unit are going to come as an assembly. So what some folks do is they just kind of start watching their odometer and filling it up every so many miles until the fuel pump goes out and they fix it all at one time. Now, you might want to get just another diagnosis on that to make sure they are properly diagnosing that. And I'm not saying they're not, but it is unusual for that to go out at 80,000 miles. It could be something as simple as a loose wire. There's a wiring harness that goes back there and there is a connector. And if the ground wire gets loose or gets corroded, that gas gauge can also start working. A lot of times, I'm not saying they did this, but I have seen techs do it. They'll plug in a scan tool. They'll go to the fuel tank reading, and they get no reading. And they say, well, it must be the sender unit, and they turn in the sheet. But they don't go to the extent of checking the wires, checking the grounds, and all that, just because that takes time, and they're getting paid flat rate, which they means they get X dollars to do the diagnosis, no matter how long or how little time it takes. That's one thing I've always disagreed with. At Agco, for instance, we bill by the amount of time we spend on the job. And the guy's getting paid hourly, so he's going to do a more thorough diagnosis. But let's say you've got a diagnostic fee of $80, and that tech gets paid a percentage of that. Let's say he gets paid $40 for every one he does. If he takes an hour to do it, he gets paid $40. If he takes two hours to do it, he gets paid $40. If he takes 15 minutes to do it, he gets paid $40. So right. what's the incentive? Plugs in a scan tool, so yes, it's going to be a center unit. But... I just see that happen a lot. We get them in, we check them in, we find a bad ground or something like that. I got to say it's unusual for that to go out at that lower mileage. Now, one thing that kills sender units is if you happen to get hold of some high sulfur fuel, and don't tell me what brand you buy because I can't say it on the air, but if you buy the non-name brand fuels, if you go to the discount stores or that a lot, you're very, very likely to have that kind of a problem as opposed to going to one of the big name brand stores like Exxon or Chevron or one of those. That is a problem that is associated with that because what happens on American cars, the sender unit is soldered together with silver solder. The reason being you can't have anyone in the United States working around lead or the EPA and ocean air bottles would eat you alive. So they use silver solder. Now, silver is a very reactive metal as opposed to lead, which is, is pretty inert. 
if you get any amount of sulfur traces in that fuel, that sulfur is going to eat that silver out of that thing and it's going to quit working. You remember a couple of years ago, yeah. we had all that... Shell Motiva plant right. let some high sulfur fuel go out. And they were paying for a lot of those things. They paid for a ton of fuel, fuel salt. Yeah, they had a big old website set up and everything. Yeah. Of course, that's all, all over done and done over, with. Yeah. They're supposed to be watching that. But I can tell you, in the off-brand fuels, we see that a lot. All right. So, I appreciate it. All righty. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Bye. And we've got Earl online. Good morning, Earl. Hi. Yes, sir. Good morning, Lewis. Hey, man. I've got a 2005... Nissan Pathfinder. I can't hear you real well, but I'll try to slow through. Okay. It's got an intermittent problem. Okay. But I'm driving down the road. The engine just kind of like loses power. Yes, sir. And the check engine light starts flashing yes, real sir. fast. Misfire. And when I pull over, it'll kind of stumble, stumble, stumble. If I cut the engine off, cycle the key back on, it'll mm-hmm. start and run just fine. Yes, sir. And then when I get uh, maybe an intersection, it'll die again. Yes, sir. Run the key off, it'll start back up. And, and I took it to the mechanic. They replaced the fuel pump. Yeah. Which I, I was told it needed replacement anyway. Well, it may, but that's not, it's not going to be that problem for sure. Right. Uh, I said that's not going to be that problem for sure. I'm going to have no. to put you on hold because so much background noise. I don't think anybody can hear. Let me go ahead and ask you a question. And if you don't get a full answer, send me an email. And I'll talk to you just a little bit more about it. But what you're going to need to do is diagnose that. The check engine light flashes. It means there's a misfire in the engine. So something's causing a misfire. One of the most common things we see on that engine is the ignition distributors go out in them a lot. We see that problem. And if you take the distributor out of the engine and kind of shake it on a piece of paper, a little piece of metal are going to fall out of it because the bearings and the shaft go out. That's a very common problem. I'm not saying that is the problem with this one, and I wouldn't just go change the distributor. But if you got an ignition scope, a lab scope, you can put on, you can pick it up. But that's one real common issue we see with that, where the ignition distributors go out in them. Of course, there are some other things that can cause it, but again, the diagnosis would start by checking the codes, going to what they call mode six data, which will tell you which cylinder or cylinders are missing. If the misfire is consistent on a single cylinder, then you go to that cylinder looking for the problem. It could be a bad injector. It could be a bad plug. It could be a lot of things. If the misfires are consistent among all the cylinders, then you're looking more at something like a distributor or a airflow meter or something that affects all the cylinders equally. And I'm sorry I had to put you on hold, but like I said, the background noise was just too bad for me. If that didn't answer your question completely, why don't you go ahead and send me an email, and I'll get you a, a more thorough answer on it. Let's see. We're going back. We've got Mike has been holding long. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. Hey, how good are morning. you? Hey, great day for a drive, guys. That it <laughs> is. You're right. It's beautiful out. Yes, indeed. Maybe you can help me out. Maybe I can get driving. Today. Okay. I got, <laughs> I got a 95 Camaro okay. with the LT1 motor in it. Yes, right. Sir. And the problem I had for a while, they was running rich, and every once in a while I would backfire while driving down the road, mm-hmm. and I lost power. And here three months ago, I haven't been driving, and then what happened is whatever was acting up cleared up. The car took off and was running fine, and it quit and left me on the side of the road. And then got it to the house, and then I had no spark. And I changed the multi-spark distributor. Mm-hmm. I changed the control module, and I changed the coil. And I still don't have any fire. What do you think's up with that? Yeah, more likely you're not getting a signal to From it. The, you got a crank sensor on that. Yeah, if the crank sensor is not producing a pulse, then uh-huh. it's not going to send signals to any of those other parts. Is that part of the distributor? That motor, I'm not real familiar with that yeah, motor. Yeah, the LT1, I'm that's the one with the sure. distributor in the front of the motor? Yeah, the LT1 yeah. Uh, has got the distributor. Yeah, behind the water pump. The yeah, back behind the harmonic balancer. But turns, Mike, that, that distributor turns off the cam shaft. Yeah, off the cam exactly. shaft. Not behind the the har- yeah, behind the harmonic balancer. The though. crank sensor's down behind the balancer. Down below there, right. yeah. 
Mike, what you're doing on that thing is you're going about this the most expensive possible way by yep. starting to change parts. If you'd have brought that to somebody right from the get-go, yes, for sir. probably 85 bucks, he could have told you what was wrong. You could have fixed it yourself, and you wouldn't have spent that five or $600 you already spent. Yes, uh, so what you're going to need to do is get this to somebody who's got a digital lab scope, and they can scope those sensors because there is a sensor, a crank sensor, and there's also a cam sensor. And in yes, about sir. a half an hour, they can tell you if that's good or bad. You don't well, have to change the, anything. The crank sensor, does it spin off the harmonic balancer? It's down it's in it. that area behind it. They had a lot of trouble with them. They also had a lot of trouble with the wiring harnesses on Right, them. but see, it, it doesn't so, mean it's a sensor. It could be exactly. the harness going to the sensor. It could be the PCM bad, right. not could seeing the, the signal. Driver. Right, you just, you're going to have to get this to someone who knows what they're yeah. doing. With the right equipment. You're going to run out of money before you run out of guesses, I swear. <laughs> yeah, because well, yeah, it's strange because I, I got power from the call going into the distributor. Right, I got, but see, I got, that's totally different system. You don't have a signal. You don't have anything to enable it. You can have 12 volts at the call. That's what fires, but you got to have a pulse. Yeah. You can't see a pulse because it's a 5-volt square wave. Without a digital lab scope, you can't see it, and you ain't got no idea what's going on. If you got yeah. no pulse coming out of the PCM, then nothing's going to fire even though it's got power all there. Right, that, that's, good, guys. that's a pretty complicated little system. It is. It is. So, like it Lewis is was saying, somebody It'll, that knows how to repair that system and what to look for right. will we'll get on that pretty quick. Yeah, normally something like that, if the car is dead, it's yeah. not, you know, a dead man's easy to diagnose. It's going to probably take him an hour or less. So sure. you're probably talking 85 90 bucks at most to find out what's wrong. And if you want to fix it yourself, that's great. Go ahead and change parts yourself. But, man, yep. throwing parts at it, you can spend more than that on a crank sensor. Yeah, and if that ain't it, now. oh yeah, 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 yeah I mean, you're in deep already. Well, just what you rattled off, you weigh over five or six hundred dollars already, just parts, not to mention your time and your aggravation. Well, yeah, BD two won't even pick up anything. Can't see all that. See, a lot of folks don't realize you've got a power and ground that fire stuff, but you've also got to have a pulse that tells it when to fire. So without right. that pulse coming from that thing, it's not going to fire. The call can have power, it can have ground, it can be a good call, but if it doesn't get a pulse, it's not going to fire. And without a scope, you can't read that pulse. That's right. All right, guys. So, okay. <laughs> Appreciate your help. Okay, All right, man. man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. And let's see. we got time for a couple more calls. Yeah. we got Donald online. Good morning, Donald. Yeah, I'm an uh, Infinity I-30, a 97 Infinity I-30. Yes, sir. And I'm kind of having the same problem. I'm throwing parts at a problem that I just can't seem to find. May I tell it's you, you know, problem with misfire. Yeah, Donald, yeah, every single week we stand here for an hour and talk about this, but it just doesn't ever seem to have an effect. I guess it's just an innate human desire to... <laughs> trying to save money, but man, that is the most expensive thing you could ever possibly do, because every part's gonna be three or four hundred bucks, and there's exactly. probably a hundred guesses. Exactly. I mean, you're gonna spend three thousand dollars guessing, whereas you could take it to someone who knows what they're doing. Well, I'm getting codes of knock sensors and uh, yeah. mass airflow sensors. Yeah, see, the mm -hmm. knock sensor I would disregard because every right. Nissan product out there has got a knock sensor code. That's set when you hook up the scan tool, mm -hmm. so you could totally disregard that. What was the other code? A mass yes. airflow sensor. Well, again, you could have a vacuum leak. It could be a it could be a vacuum leak. It could be a be a bad O2 sensor. It could be a computer driver. It could be the wires going to it. It we, could be. We took two different manufacturers. We took a Toyota and a Chevrolet and created the same vacuum leak in both of them. Right. And got two different codes. Yeah, one set an O2 code, one set of mass yeah. airflow sensor code. Only thing that that code is saying is this sensor doesn't see what it expects to see for the RPM of the engine. Doesn't mean the mm -hmm. sensor's bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And see, that sensor's probably, what, 700 Ooh. bucks? Plus, it has to be programmed. I mean, do you yeah. really want to guess at that? No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's probably not the problem. Because you could have a vacuum leak that'll set that mass air right. sensor code. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you could have a loose wire somewhere. You could have a bad computer. I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. It's just cars today have gotten to a point where it is just absolutely impossible to guess at them. I mean, mm-hmm. I tell people, are you a rich man? <laughs> no. So tell me, what about your coil pack? Well, the coil packs will cause a misfire, but it's going to be a misfire specific to a single cylinder. In other words, you'd have like a P301, P302, P303, P304, depending on which cylinder was missing. A coil mm-hmm. can't make it miss on all the cylinders, and it can't set an airflow code. Now, it can set an oxygen sensor code because too much fuel is going out the exhaust because it's not burning, but that's not too likely going to be your case. I mean, I would just go ahead and bite the bullet, bring this thing someone knows what to do, and let them diagnose it, even if you want to fix it yourself. So we got a lot of folks bring us cars. We diagnose it, tell them what's wrong. They go fix it themselves. They want to save money. That's great. I got no problem with that. My only problem is with the folks who spend 1000 bucks on stuff they don't need, whereas for 85 bucks we could have told them what was wrong with it. And, and mm-hmm. the problem with that is the parts that are out there now, yeah, some you, of them are absolute junk, you and you're get, creating a problem. Yeah, we've seen that on a lot top of, of another problem where right. people have changed a part, put a defective part on, still doing the same thing. They got no idea, so then they start changing a bunch of other stuff, not ever realizing the part they put on was worse than the one they took off. Right, right. There's a there's an article on our website how to find a great shop. Yep. Vi- okay. Visit the website, read the article. Mm-hmm. It'll give you a better understanding of what you're looking for when you go somewhere because not every shop is equally. Right. Trained just because a guy's got a shingle out right. front that says auto repair doesn't mean he can fix cars. That's right. <laughs> well, I've actually taken it to the dealership, and I've well, gotten the same answer. Well, that's, Even that's then. Probably, read that article. That'll tell yeah. you right there. Okay. All, All right, right, man. Then. Thanks, Don. Right, thank you. All, All right. right. Bye-bye. All right. got to take a quick little break. Roy, Joey, Deborah, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. I'm here with Stuart, life insurance rep and Agco Automotive customer. That's me. So, Stuart, as an Agco customer driving a car with 245,000 miles, you believe in preventative maintenance, right? I sure do. You know, having your car checked out annually can prevent major repairs, just like an annual insurance review. That reminds me of the old insurance story about the poor lady at her husband's funeral who asked her agent about death benefits, and he informs her that old Joe's first wife is still the beneficiary. Oh, an annual review would have helped, huh? That's why Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection to get an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs needed to help keep your car running. Oh, I'm definitely a believer. So, on another note, my wife wants to increase my life insurance policy by a couple million. Should I be worried? All I can say is some flowers and a gift card to the spa couldn't hurt. Mmm, good point, Stuart. For the rest of you out there, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Brian's our lead tech over at Agco, and between two of us, I think we'll answer any questions you have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we're going to try to catch as many of these phone calls as we can. And we've got John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I got a question about my truck. Driving down the interstate last night, mm-hmm. and I saw some smoke coming from underneath my truck behind me, big cloud. Look under it. I got transmission fluid everywhere under the bottom of my truck. Mm-hmm. So where is it, John? It's a Ford F-150. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell exactly where it's well, coming from. Well, I can almost bet you where it's coming from is the front pump seal. They had a good deal of trouble with those seals. They revised the front seal, 
And normally what happens is that you will drive a good distance and then maybe come to a stop. And then right after that, it just starts dumping the fluid out. Ironically, if you fill it back up, it may do just fine for another week, month, whoever can say, period of time because the seal will go back reseal. But don't be fooled into thinking that it's fixed. That's almost always where that's coming from, that that front converter seal. Right. And to get to that seal, you have to take the unit out of the truck to access it because it's behind the converter. Right. Transmission has to come out and you take the torque converter out. If if the neck on the converter is not damaged, which if you catch it early, it probably won't be, you can generally clean that up, put a new seal of the revised type in there, put it back in, and you should be good. But normally, if you refill it with fluid, you'll be able to drive it again. But just don't think that it's fixed because it's going to do it again. All right. Well, I had to go at home, so it's not going to be driving. Yeah, do not to. try to drive it low because not oh, only yeah, does fluid make it go, but it also lubricates it. So it'll right, burn, burn it up. Yeah, you'll take moderately small repair and turn it into a major repair real, real fast trying to drive it or run it. So if you want to try to get it somewhere, you could find out what fluid it takes. Probably going to be Mercon 5, depending on what year model you got. Go ahead and fill it up again, and it's probably going to drive fine and quit leaking. Although sometimes I've seen them just blow out and they just keep pouring right. out. You could probably pour some in there and just crank it up and see. But a lot of times I've seen them actually reseal long enough to get it somewhere. Okay. All righty. All right. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, Thank sir. you. Bye-bye. we got Deborah's been patiently holding. Good morning, Deborah. Oh, good morning. How you doing? Doing great, ma'am. Good morning. Good. I have a 2005 Ford Freestyle vehicle. Okay. And every time I make a right turn, it makes a squeaking noise. Hmm. You know, is it a continuous squeaking or just a single squeak? Just a single squeak. Okay. Like and it's only if I'm turning. Let me ask you this, Deborah. If you've tried this, and if you haven't, you need to try it. With the car sitting still, like in the parking lot, turn the wheel back and forth and see if it makes a squeak or not. Okay. And if it does not, then it's going to mean one thing. And if it does, then it's going to mean something else. And if it only does it when the car is in motion, only when you're rolling and turning. Then okay. it's going to probably be something like a wheel bearing or maybe the dust shield in the back of a rotor rubbing or something to that effect. Now, if it will do it with the car sitting still, you're more likely into like a tie rod or a ball joint a or strut something bearing. strut bearing or something right. like that. Because those turn whether the car moves or not. So okay. what you could do is go out and just, you could start the motor and just turn the wheel back and forth and see if it still does okay. it with the car sitting still. And uh, okay. if it see, does... it's not doing it now. It's not... Well, it's going to probably be intermittent, but next time it's doing it, see if it does it with the car sitting still or only with it rolling. And then you can either call me back next week or you can send me an email and I'll give you some more guidance on that. Okay. But I just turned it with the car rolling Mm -hmm. on and it it did not do it. And now since I'm moving and made a turn, it did it. Okay. Okay. Well, if it only does it with the car moving, and you need to do that several times because it could be a coincidence. It may be that it just wasn't doing it then. So you need to duplicate that test several times. But if it absolutely never does it with the car sitting still and only does it with the car rolling, okay. then more likely you're going to be into something like a wheel bearing, possibly the brake pads getting thin, little squeal indicators are rubbing, okay. the dust shield on the back of the wheel. If you can kind of isolate which wheel is coming from, the okay. fix would be to take the wheel off and look in there and just see what's rubbing because something is going to be rubbing to cause that yes, noise. Sir. Okay. All righty. Okay, good. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. And we've got Roy online. Good morning, Roy. Good morning. How are you Good morning, sir. Look, I got a question about aftermarket parts in okay. general, and specifically emission parts like catalytic converters. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Oxygen sensor. Mm-hmm. Take Ford Motors, for instance, uh, GM or any uh, manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Do they make all their component parts? No. Uh, do- they don't make anything. 
Okay. GM, Ford, and Chrysler do not make anything. All they do is they design cars and they assemble cars. Okay. Now, the first thing you're going to hear from an aftermarket parts supplier, and don't start naming any names because we can't have that on the air, but okay. the first thing you're going to hear is we make the parts for them. And in some yeah. cases, that is true. However, they're not making them to the same specifications. They That's make parts to all kinds of different specs. You know, when mm -hmm. GM specs out a part, they have a certain specification it has to meet. Not only that, this is the big thing, when this vendor sends 100,000 oxygen sensors to GM, mm -hmm. General Motors has the wherewithal to test every single one of those sensors and see if they're good. And if one or two is bad, the whole batch is going back and they know it. Mm -hmm. Now, when they sell them to a parts store and you or I buy it, how are you going to test an oxygen sensor and see if it's good before you put it yeah. on? You can't do it. So the stuff that you're getting is not the same stuff as GM and Ford's getting. So, you know, there are certain aftermarket parts that I got to say are really good stuff. There are certain aftermarket parts that we use in lieu of the original, just because mm -hmm. they're better than the original. But they are few and far between. Now, that said, I got to say, the original equipment stuff is getting so bad nowadays that a lot of the aftermarket stuff is catching up to it. It's not that the aftermarket is getting that much better. It's just the OEMs getting pretty sorry. I mean, everything they got now is coming out of China or Mexico or uh, India, who knows where. So it's really getting to a point where it's almost hard to find good parts. Yeah. And that's where the do-it-yourselfers at such a disadvantage. At least as a shop, I can test the majority of the parts I get. For instance, we had a car come in about a week ago and had an oxygen sensor code. We verified the oxygen sensor was bad with a scope. Okay, we put a new oxygen sensor on it, Ford Motocraft sensor. Light goes out, guy takes off. Two days later, light's back on, comes back in, mm -hmm. same exact code again. Well, you know what? We had a bad oxygen sensor. Now, if you did that, you'd say, well, it can't be the sensor because it already changed it. So then you'd go off on a tirade of spending money on all kinds of other stuff because mm -hmm. you don't have the wherewithal to verify that. So that's why the do-it-yourselfer is so much behind the eight ball now. He just doesn't have the information. He doesn't have the knowledge. And he doesn't have the tooling. You will literally spend a fortune trying to figure out what's wrong with your car. What I suggest is if you like working on your own car and you want to save some money, make an alliance with a good shop that's willing to diagnose it for you, let them tell you what's wrong, and then go ahead and fix the stuff yourself. Yeah. You're way, way, way dollars ahead because we see that so often. I mean, we take parts out of the box that don't work or don't work right. I mean, aftermarket I've, and manufacturing? Both. 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 It happens more with aftermarket, but I've seen on both. I've taken airflow meters out of the box that didn't even meet their specs, brand new. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's not unusual to even see that. We see that every day on a daily basis. Okay, I, I was concerned because uh, I got a, a truck I'm going to bring in to you. I've been threatening mm -hmm. to bring it in the last three weeks, so it just hasn't gotten around. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's I'm no problem. Having, but I'm having oxygen since, well, catalytic converter. Code. Yeah, cap mm -hmm. efficiency. And see, yeah, efficiency. sometimes right. the oxygen sensor can cause that code, too. It doesn't necessarily mean the cat is bad. And, again, depending on what kind of truck, is it a Ford truck? Ford F-150. There's a flash update to the computer for that code in some cases, not in all cases. But mm -hmm. what they did is that Ford realized the specs they put into the computer originally, once the truck gets a few years old, it can't meet them anymore. It's going to keep kicking that light on. So they allow you to reprogram the computer to cut that out. Oh, okay. So I'm not I'm sure yours falls under that or not, but we could check and see. But, see, that's a real inexpensive fix if that's the problem. Okay, so, I'm going to call up for sure sometimes. Oh, yeah. Know. We get people come in, they dump a $700, $800 cat on there, and it's still got the light on them. <laughs> they bring it, we fix it for about 75 bucks. They really got the red. I ain't got that, <laughs> I ain't got that bed yet. <laughs> so, all right, Ron. Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right.
Do we have time for another call? Nope. I got nay sign. Hey, Cal and Joey, either give me a call back next week. Be glad to get your answer. Or if you want to send me an email, I'll be glad to try to help you out. We're just totally out of time. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning in Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.